Hello and welcome to Wellness in Law, a podcast from Haynes Boone that delves into the dynamics of the high-pressure, demanding legal profession and the importance of holistic well-being for attorneys and firms. I'm William Joy, the communications manager here at Haynes Boone, filling in for the far cooler and certainly far more knowledgeable Abby Reed while she's on maternity leave. But to make up for that, we have a really great guest today. I'm joined by Alex Clark, an attorney here in Haynes Boone's Insurance Recovery Litigation Practice Group, who also serves as the co-chair of the firm's Military, Veterans, and Partners Inclusion Network, or MVP, which probably wins our Best Acronym Award. But before getting into law, Alex served as a non-commissioned officer in charge of current intelligence for the 433rd Air Wing at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. Alex, thanks for joining me today. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that we had you on to talk about how military training is relevant still even in law and also what can firms do to support veterans. And it feels like to me, just big picture for a second, that the biggest crossover is probably on the mental health side, right? We talk about stress being part of both military service and obviously in law. And I'm wondering what sort of stress training did you go through in the military to prep for service? And also, are you using that at all today? Yeah, that's that's a great place to start it off. I think even at the basic training level, right? Because um, I was not a combat veteran. Uh, I was what's called an intelligence analyst mm-hmm. and would make classified PowerPoints. Uh, you've heard of the Power Rangers. They called us PowerPoint Rangers. <laughs> um, but even at the basic training level, you hear things that are you know kind of cheesy, but they're true. Uh, you may have heard the expression from the Navy SEALs, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm-hmm. About slowing things down, not rushing, not panicking, and giving us really practical tools to kind of biohack our stress response. Um, there's a really great episode about stress uh, on uh, the new Discovery Channel thing uh, on Disney Plus. Chris Hemsworth has a great series on different things he can do and challenges and and all that. And uh, this this tactic that I learned uh, called box breathing made it on there as well. So that makes me feel good. That if Thor is doing it, you got something got something right. (laughs) So box breathing is something real simple. Anybody can do it, and it's essentially uh, four, 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 four. So four fours, easy to remember. And so what that looks like is you breathe in, one, two, three, four. You hold, three, four, and then you breathe out, two, three, four. Then you hold for four. And you repeat that process, and it just really slows things down, four, 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 four. And so even in the, the midst of really you know dramatic things like a firefight or an explosion, if you can, can force your body to slow down um, all the stress responses that are affecting your brain and making you seize up and be paralyzed uh, can be overcome. And so while hopefully nothing we're doing here at Hands of Boone is that <laughs> stressful, it's, it's, it's just the reality that our profession is a stressful place. You know, the, the, all, the, the right. pressures of the billable hour, client demands, uh, just trying to juggle it all between the work, uh, family obligations, business development, it can all seem like too much. And so reminding ourselves that in the hustle and bustle of all that, that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. 
No, I think that's I think that's well said. And, and yeah, certainly we're not in any firefights here, but it's all relative, right? You know, if you haven't been in that situation before, I'm sure a lot of the situations that, you know, the attorneys here at Haynes Boone and, and elsewhere who are listening go through feel like that incredibly, you know, high level of stress. And, you know, stress can lead to burnout. Burnout can lead to depression. Depression can lead to, to suicide, unfortunately. And, and that's another thing that we talk about constantly. We're talking about, you know, the, the armed services. And I, I wonder for you what sort of crossover was there for, you know, depression, what to look for, not just in yourself, but in others, because there are people that you're probably seeing day to day or maybe have seen the legal profession from, from law school uh, through, you know, people working at firms of burnout, of depression. Yeah. And, and apologize in advance if I might get a little emotional about this topic. Um, one of my first friends when I moved to Sherman, Texas, um, rode the bus with him, uh, Sergeant Callan Talcott. Uh, he took his life. One of the uh, guys I went to basic training with, uh, a lot of the people in my basic training flight were what's called battlefield airmen, uh, which means they were kind of the combat controllers. They were the pararescuemen. These were the, the, the fittest of the fit strongest, the fastest, bravest, and a number of them, uh, including a guy named Matt Mahalik, uh, made a hundred on their diagnostic PT test, you know, just to see where you're at when we first get there. And so someone who very much was not that way, whenever I joined the Air Force, I, I kind of looked to him and said, you know, almost like a, you know, make it Marvel reference here, like Dr. Strange with broken hands, you know, just Teach me, teach me, whatever it is you're, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're doing works. So on top of whatever PT we're doing at basic training, you tell me what to do. But um, so very personal connection to the suicide problem in the military. Lots of overlap with the legal industry, unfortunately. Um, people right here in the Dallas community, people who you would think have it all together. They're living um, lives of luxury. They've reached the pinnacle of the profession, suddenly take their own life. Um, people on the opposite end, young associates facing anxiety and depression and burnout. Um, similarly, just being overwhelmed by it all. So this is very personal to me. Uh, that's why I, through through the HB Well program, uh, took the initiative uh, to go get certified in mental health first aid. Right. Um, this was actually something we got taught a lot about in the military uh, because of how big of a problem it was in the Air Force. Uh, we had a pro program called ACE and uh, it would actually give us a little card, a little ACE card that we could keep in our wallets. Okay. And what ACE stood for is ask, care, and escort. The first part I think is the part that rubs people wrong um, initially because it's just so taboo, um, but you have to ask them point blank. Have you thought about hurting yourself? Mm. How would you do it? Do you have a plan? Have you, have you considered killing yourself? It's a hard thing to, to form and, and put out there, um, especially if it's someone you know about, you know, and you care about. But the studies show that you're not making it more likely that they're going to do it. Um, and it, it really gets to the heart of the matter so that you can do the next part, right? After you ask, you care. You engage with them personally. You figure out what it is in their life that has changed. What are the new circumstances? Um, empathizing with them, 
seeing that it's, it is stressful, not trying to convince them that their response to this, this situation, these new circumstances are, is wrong. It's just to be there in, in it with them. And then the last piece uh, I think is critical and I think not talked about enough outside of the military. Um, and that's escort. You do not leave that person in that low, dark place and say, thoughts and prayers, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, gets better. I'll be thinking about you. Yeah. You, we have to, there has to be an action component. You need to get that person to the resources they need. In the military, it was very straightforward. No, uh, you, you take them to the chaplain. You take them to the mental health resource office, whatever that next step is you, you physically, you know, pick them up and drive them if you have to. I think that gets a little more complicated over here on the civilian side, but I think the idea is, is just as important that we do not leave them in that moment. So, I I mean, just to get to that first step, well, first off, I appreciate you sharing all that because I think it is something that everybody can benefit from, whether you're in in law military or not, frankly, because it's, it's a serious nationwide problem, but to get to that first step, the ask, you do mention it, it is taboo. And, and I imagine even if you want to help somebody, you're like, ah, should I say something? I don't really know that person that well. It's very personal. How do you get to a point or, or what are you looking for to say, all right, somebody needs to talk to this person. I'm going to be that person. So I think you can, the question I asked myself and across a lot of different parts of my life, I think applies equally in this space is that what would I lose if I don't? So whether that's, God, I don't really don't want to do this workout right now. Or what would I lose if I didn't do it? What would I lose if I didn't make this investment in my daughter's college fund? I'd rather use this money to do anything else. You know, <laughs> thinking in terms of that opportunity cost mindset, what do we lose if we let our own personal discomfort get in the way of saving somebody's life? I, I get really emotional thinking about how things might have been different if someone had asked Callan, if someone had asked Matt. I can't know. None of us can prove the negative, right? But I'm never not going to ask the question because it might make myself feel queasy or I might make the other person uncomfortable. Um, I'm just not going to do it. No, that's, I think that's well said. And I think it's an important reframing, right? That like, uh, that loss analysis moving from the, the middle side to the physical side for a moment, you, you talked about the guy coming in and scoring the, the hundred on the PT test. I imagine the other part of a military training that's, uh, possibly transferable is the sort of, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm not forgetting about my, my physical well-being, right. That I'm not so bogged down with stuff that I forget to eat right, that I forget to exercise, that I'm not eating these crazy bad for me meals just before I go to bed, you know, that sort of thing. What sort of physical health skills did you learn through military service that you're still using today? All of them. It's important. Um, what I think was really a long-term lesson can apply across every kind of physical aspect here is just how much emphasis was placed on, on, on your nutrition, your sleep, your hydration, your 
exercise habits, all of it as part of your job. It wasn't this separate thing you need to think about in addition to whatever your work is going to be, right? For me, making those PowerPoints with entirely too many animations. <laughs> um, Power Rangers, yeah. Yeah, my, my nickname in my unit was Walt Disney because I just used so many PowerPoint animations to tell stories. That's amazing. So at that point in my life, I had been pretty active uh, and athletic in high school. I ran cross country and track and I played a little bit of football until I got hurt and I played soccer. So I, I felt pretty, pretty active and fit. But for four years of college, mostly my exercise consisted of ping pong. <laughs> I don't know if that qualifies. It's, it's, it's no, tough. exactly. And then two years of teaching where I did even less than that, I was coming at going to basic training from a very, very low place physically. And so that's why I, I really did. I sought out those people and said, you know, I'm going to need a lot more help um, than you, obviously. Um, you're fine now. So give me, give me what I need to know. But in addition to that, there were a lot of very intentional lessons like sit down classroom education on nutrition, the kinds of foods that will make your body perform at better levels and which ones won't. Um, I think uh, I may have mentioned to you once that uh, my basic training uh, kitchen, uh, the place where we got our chow, uh, actually had a stoplight system where they would put a red uh, piece of tape in front of uh <laughs> the foods that were really bad for you and you really probably shouldn't eat them more than right. you know, that very rare occasion where you're celebrating or something. They would have yellow for kind of middle okay foods and they have green for the, the good stuff. And so I made it a point to almost exclusively eat the green foods. And That's once you get into the habit of it, it's, it's tough. At the, it was really tough for me at the beginning, um, not having those yellow and red foods. But once I got used to it, I started to notice what my body felt like when I was running on green versus what it felt like when I was running on yellow and red. And similar to that is the feeling of hydration, right? Um, we would have very regimented water breaks and chants, we would say, whenever it was time to drink. We had these uh, standard issue canteens uh, and we had to drink them. We had to finish these canteens with certain, within certain time periods. Um, or, or we were in trouble. Was, I mean, we, we had to do it. And that, I think, honestly, for the first time in my life, I had actually achieved like what is like, you know, US Surgeon General government recommended amounts of hydration. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it is a not a comfortable thing to get to when you've been out of it for a very long time. You're just constantly when, chugging water. You're like, this isn't, constantly, this isn't constantly chugging. Yeah, constantly. And constantly, you know, marching from place to place, going from classroom to classroom, to different activities, to different trainings. And just honestly, William, not trying to wet myself because, <laughs> because I think that was one of the, the greatest challenges, especially in the first several weeks is just the, the, just the fear that I'm going to completely wet myself in front of all of my fellow <laughs> flight members and and, and, what, and and once you are in that that actual hydrated place, once you fall out of it, you notice it. Yeah. I had never noticed the feeling of being dehydrated until I was hydrated. 
Okay, so, well, first off, all I can envision is a grocery store that has, like, a, a green section, a yellow section, a red section. You, like, <laughs> see somebody walk out of the red section with, like, shame on their face, just, like, you know, carrying a bag of Funyuns or something. Who knows? Just, like, that's how we need to – we'd make everybody healthy if we had a, you know, different sections in the grocery store so everybody <laughs> knew what was healthy or not. Um, I still I have – I know this is an unpopular position, and, yeah. and Brene Brown would have, have words with me, but I think a little shame is okay. Yeah, no, just like a little bit is is fine. Um, but go, look at the hydration thing, though. I think about this constantly. Is you know when you're at your desk, uh, going back to to law firm, when you're at your desk and you're you're writing or you're reading or you're doing something, you don't even think to yourself, "I need to get up and get water." Like to stay hydrated. And you're you're a runner. You still exercise a ton. Dallas Marathon coming up. Like, are you? Are you one of those gallon challenge people who have the massive water bottle? Are you like setting reminders? How do you continue to, to follow that even when you're staying super busy? I used, I used to actually carry the giant gallon. I knew around. it. I knew it. Um, but I, I, I don't do that anymore, but I, I actually still try to hit that same level of hydration. I actually yeah. keep track of my intake on uh, an app and uh, I got a Christmas present last year. This is my, my, I got a Stanley 40 ounce. Oh, look at you. And uh, I wake up in the morning, immediately down a 16 ounce liquid IV. And I'm going to have 12 ounces with a protein shake. That's, you know, 28. And then, but at two of these bad boys, I'm over 100, right? You're like, all right, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah. But yeah, so I just, I keep track of the small amounts. What I, what I found is really helpful is to start the day with a good amount, hmm. kind of get out ahead of the curve. And then, yeah, I think it's, it's just one of those things that if you notice that you're dehydrated, right, it's too late. Like your body is now operating in a sluggish um, position that, that, you know, that's not good for you. It's not good for your yeah. clients. It's not good for anybody. You are literally, your, your, your system is not operating at peak efficiency. Well, the one thing that you've said kind of throughout this, the, the entire discussion so far is, is about habit forming almost. Right. Like whether it's exercise or eating right or drinking right, you know, once you fall into that rhythm, I assume your body tells you, your mind tells you somehow, you know, and this is where we could really use Abby to actually talk us through it. But I'm assuming your body tells you to a certain degree. All right. You know, something's not right. I need to be drinking more or you know, something's wrong with my dad because my, my exercise is tougher. You know, I, I assume a lot of it is just build the habit so that your body knows, hey, this is this isn't right. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, a great book on that, uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, I, I have the audio book version of that, and I think I think he's he's really onto something there. And I, I wouldn't have called it Atomic Habits, but I think instinctively I've kind of understood this for a really long time now. Um, I, th I taught in third grade, right out of college, right, um, and one of the books that I would read to my classroom what was on a higher reading level. You want to read aloud a book with, with vocabulary that's beyond the student's comprehension so that they can learn new words and things like that. And one of the ones that I would read to my classroom is the book Holes. I don't know if that's a good oh, reference yeah, yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf and, and the Disney production, yeah. right? Um, Stanley Yelnats was his character's name. Yeah. And he was yeah. cursed by his no good, big stealing, dirty you know, great, great grandfather or whatever it was. And, yeah, and the reason why I mention all that is the original story that he believes uh, created this family curse 
was about um, the original Stanley Elnats uh, wanting to come um, and marry this beautiful woman in the village. And I promise there's a point to all this. So, so stick with me here. Okay. Uh, I'm following along. You got me. And so one of the things, uh, Madame Zeroni, who we find out is the ancestor of another one of the, the young boy characters in the story, tells him to do is to take this piglet and every day take the piglet up the mountain to drink from the stream. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of this set period of time, you will present the pig and it will be pleasing to the father of this beautiful bride. Right. Sure. Yeah. And so what happens over the course of time is this little piglet and Stanley Elnats is going up the mountain. And as the pig gets bigger, so does, so does Stanley. The pig's yeah, getting yeah. heavier. And so to carry him up the mountain in this very small, almost imperceptible amount from day to day, the pig's not getting much bigger every day, but the small amounts, this 1% change, right. as James Clear would call it in Atomic Habits, this 1% change is happening. And so by the time this pig is, is, is massive, you know, you can't fit in to like your, your hands anymore. You have to kind of stretch them across your chest and you got to put your thighs and your back into it. And it's like a big pig. You're still able to do it because every day is like with it the whole time, just 1%, 1%, 1%. And so the idea that you would have been able to carry something so big up a mountain on day one seems impossible. Right. But the idea of taking a piglet up a mountain seems much easier. Right. And so I think people get themselves psyched up and say, well, I can never run a marathon. I'm never going to bother with that. But you don't have to run a marathon. You go for a run and you get 1% better and 1% better. At the end of a year, if you've gotten 1% better, you're you're 37 times better at the end of a year. If you've gotten 1% better every day. That's an incredible way to, to think about it. And I'm really glad that we we also inserted a Holes book report into the, the middle of the <laughs> podcast. This is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's great if you want wellness tips or insights in children's books. That's right. Um, that's what wellness we've done with wellness and law. No, I, I appreciate you walking through that. And I do think, you know, the reframing of that is, is helpful as well. I think I'll, I'll finish it out here just asking, we've talked about how veterans and, and training that you've gone through helps law firms. On the flip side of that, what can law firms do to, to better support veterans who are coming in with a very unique background? So this is uh, something of a personal uh, pet peeve of mine. Um, I think Haynes Boone does it really well. Um, but for the general non-military community population, uh, civilians, as we might call you, uh, <laughs> I think too often it is just kind of, it comes from an authentic place, but I think it's kind of lazy whenever we say, thank you for your service. Because it's almost like you've done the ask and you've done the care, but you're not going to do any escorting. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. We're really glad you did that for us. Sayonara. Carry on. Yeah. 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 Um, And sometimes there's not really even an ask. It's just the care. So what I think you most most places um, don't don't ask about. Okay, so what did you do in the military? How are those skills? How could those be beneficial to what we're doing? Because you might be surprised. A lot of this stuff, working with a team, 
being mission oriented, having had real responsibilities um, that really matter. Our, our, our skills that transfer not only to the legal profession, but really any profession. And they're the kind of people you want to hire. So I would say, I would say kind of borrowing the ask care sport framework, ask that person, what was your, your military experience like? Don't just thank them for a service. Tell me about it. Where were you? What'd you do? Learn about that, that service. And then the last piece I would say that's missing, because I think care is pretty well. People genuinely care. They'll say thank you for your service, yeah. especially around Veterans Day, Memorial Day, you know, all the big ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I think that escort piece in, in this context looks like, okay, these people have written blank checks with their lives. Right. How do we serve the people who serve us? And I think for me, my, my passion on that, there's lots of different avenues it can take, but my passion and one of the things Haynes Boone has been excellent about doing is supporting those transitioning service members as they seek further education, whether they seek employment. Um, we've partnered with uh, Service to School uh, in their JD MBA virtual admissions fair for every year it has existed. As, right, as, yeah. as like the top sponsor, um, as far as I know, we are the only law firm, uh, as a, as a major sponsor of that organization. And those are the kind of things that are life changing. Whenever you help someone go from a life of service, which very meaningful, great skills developed, but frankly, not the kind of income that can generationally change someone's life to I'm going to help you get into the best law school you can possibly get into the best business school you possibly get into that kind of thing is uh, changing the path. I mean, for me, my life will never be the same, right? My daughter's life, any other kids I ever have, their lives will look completely different than if I had never been given that kind of support. No, that's, uh, I think that's incredibly well said. And I think it's important for, for firms to, I don't say follow our lead, but just to continue to support veterans. Cause you and I have talked even in the past about kind of the different programs that we have here and, and the work that you do even outside of the firm, you know, swearing in veterans, that sort of thing, uh, with Texas veterans association. So, uh, I'll, I'll Alex, say it, I'll say it you. for you. I think, I think other firms yeah. should get on our level, you know? <laughs> All right, there it is. All right, I think we're I think we actually are good uh this time. But seriously, thank you so much for for joining me. I feel like I learned a ton today. We're so so much better for having you as as you know, part of our team here at Haynes Boone. And thank you to our listeners too for for joining us. You can find today's episode and the future ones on major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked today's episode, please leave us a review, share it with your friends, and check out our previous episodes. I'm William Joy, and until next time, be well. <laughs>